Welcome to the Vogue Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a brand new episode of the Vogue Podcast, in which I'll be interviewing professional voiceover actor Sean Beichu, whom you guys might know best for voicing the wrench from The Watch Dogs 2, for his roles in Outlast, and for many of his other great performances. Thank you so much for coming on, Sean. Sean? How are you doing today? Because actually, uh, somewhere I read that you also were credited as Sean, S-E-A-N. I don't know where that was, but I saw it on IMDb, so that's probably what messed me up. Yeah, people get that wrong sometimes. Uh, It's S-H-A-W-N, but uh, Sean is a very common, S-E-A-N is a very common uh, way of spelling it as well. So uh, Mm -hmm. it's it's all good. But thanks for having me on, uh, Ronald. It's nice to be here. It's my pleasure. And my first question actually would be, um, so can you tell us about your journey into the world of acting and voice acting? You know, how did you get started and what attracted you into the field? Sure. Uh, So I've always been, uh, you know, ever since I was a kid, I loved entertaining. I loved telling jokes and kind of being the center of attention. Um, But I never thought it could be kind of turned into a Montreal, uh, it's a great city, but not very, you know, Hollywood adjacent. Uh, most people who wanted to become actors would go to New York or at least Vancouver, uh, if not, you know, in the States to go to LA and all that stuff. So uh, I never really saw it as a real possibility being an actor. So I kind of just, you know, did that as a hobby. Um, I was always the first one to stand up in class when we do readings of plays or uh, if when anyone needed a, a narrator or a present for anything i was always volunteering to get up in front of the class and perform in front of people when everyone else would be frozen in fear i'd be kind of just volunteering all the time mm-hmm. um so after i went to cjep i went to college and uh, studied biochemistry for a while and then i realized i'm not happy doing this i don't want to be a biochemist i want to be an actor so uh, i looked around at my options and i saw that there was a, a college uh, you know, uh, in Montreal that offered uh, a theater program. So I transferred over there, auditioned, actually got refused because I wasn't very good at the time. Uh, but I took some drama classes as part of my electives. Then I reapplied the next year at the suggestion of one of my teachers, uh, who I owe a lot to because she kind of steered the course of my, la- my life into acting. Because if it wasn't for her suggesting I reapply to the program, I don't think I would have pursued it. Um, so she got me into the callbacks for the program the next year and I got in and, uh, yeah, that pretty much changed the course of my life. I learned all about acting and movement and voice and theater and stage combat. And, uh, it's where I met my wife. Uh, she was also a student there at the times, uh, to be an actor. So she no longer does acting, but uh, she's still my wife. So that's nice. (laughs) And, um, yeah, after I graduated, I just kind of started applying my trade and, you know, got an agent and joined the union and, oh, yes. uh, you know, auditioned for a million things, eventually started booking a bit of work. And then I branched out from there doing, you know, more specialized stuff like motion capture, voice work, stunt fighting and stage combat, that kind of thing. So oh. yeah, it was, it was, it took me about 10 years maybe after I graduated to, for things to really pick up and to have a proper career. Okay. Uh, so I'm very thankful to the support I had in those years from my parents, my family, and my wife. Um, but now, you know, I've, I've been doing great now, I think, for uh, well over a decade. And 
there's always new challenges that present themselves. But to me, that's part of the the journey of the actor, you know? Well, sure. Well, I'm really glad that you've been able to uh, make yourself a career out of this. Out so of, am I. Out of a hobby, yeah. Um, actually, uh, speaking of uh, specialized stuff, um, I saw on IMDb that you have a credit in the first Harry Potter film. Uh, it probably wasn't a role or something, but it says additional Harry crew. Potter? Yeah. Not you, sure if... the, the, the movie? The, the, the movie, yeah. Release? Oh, wow. No, that is... Uh... It's not true at all. Um, That's weird. Really? Are you sure it was me, Sean Bechu? Really? Yeah, on your IMDb page. Yeah. I mean, I'm not sure if it was you, but it was credited on your page. So that's well, you I know, it's weird, though, because things pop up on that page all the time that aren't true. And I, I don't update the IMDb production to do. My agent does on occasion. Mm -hmm. Like uh, last year, I had a credit for an upcoming game that uh -huh. I never worked on, that I never heard of. It was up there for months. Um, I think they took it down eventually. Uh, uh, I would have loved to work on Harry Potter, but no, I'm sorry to say that's that I did not work on that on that movie. Well, um, well good to know. Good to know that we've been able to sell I'm, this. I'm gonna yeah. have to go uh, go look at my MDB page now and look for inconsistencies. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, as you know, anyone can uh, update that. It fans. Yeah, so I don't know if that's someone's idea of a prank or maybe someone thought I was in the film. I mean, I don't know maybe. who. Who would have thought that? That was quite a while ago, too. That movie came out. Yeah, two thousand and one. Um, so that's why. Wow, really? Okay, that. that's wow. That's really interesting. Okay. <laughs> All right, moving on. Um, could you share some of your most memorable voiceover roles and what made them stand out for you? Sure. Uh, so I mean, I guess the obvious answer for most people uh, is Wrench. I mean, I mm -hmm. I did work uh, a lot on Wrench. What I love with Wrench, I think more than anything else I've ever done, is uh, what I love more than anything as an actor is comedy. I love comedy. I grew up with comedy. I had a sketch comedy troupe uh, years ago. We did shows. We did the Just for Laughs Festival. Like, you know, we were pretty active. Uh, I wanted a sketch comedy show at some point. I never really kind of got it off its feet. Um, so I love comedy. It's, it's probably my, my greatest strength, but I never have the chance to play comedic characters. Uh, a lot of the stuff I do in Montreal is either very serious, if it's film or TV, I'm playing cops or paramedics or thugs or, mm. you know, bad guys, uh, which is fun. I love that too. Um, but uh, if it's uh, video games too, a lot of them tend to be very action centered. So they're not usually very funny. Uh, you know, if you look at my other parts, Outlast is a horror game. Uh, Rainbow yeah. Six is a is a tactical shooter. Assassin's Creed is a stealth action game, right? They're not really fun. They have humor, but they're not funny games yeah. or funny characters. So Wrench to me was a, the opportunity of a lifetime. And okay. it just kind of came about because I was working on the first Watch Dogs. And the guy who directed that was in charge of the demo for the second Watch Dogs and said, hey, do you want to play this character named Wrench? I want someone with your energy and your comedic sensibilities to come and kind of give him life. Because uh, originally Wrench was going to be this like kind of really gruff, boring, kind of big, muscular punk guy, you know, hmm. just kind of very stereotypical. And they wanted someone who was like a motor mouth and funny and lots of pop culture references. And that really was up my alley. So I got to just open up the floodgates with who I am yeah. as a performer with Wrench. I got to really improvise a bunch and just be zany and crazy, which I never get to do. So I absolutely loved 
the chance to do that. And I really think that came through in the role because fans really connected with the character sure so much thing, so that yeah. they had him back for um, Watch Dogs Legions for Bloodline yeah. uh, and the main game itself. Actually, you could play him as a character now, which I think is great. Um, so I'd say Ranch is probably because of that. Also, I got to work with an amazing cast of people, you know, uh, Jonathan and Ruffin and and yes. uh, John who played T-Bone. Um, and uh, they were all like, everyone was so great and warm and we all bonded and connected. And it was such a nice experience. You know, we're on set every day. We were hanging out. So like, it's not just the character, but it's the memories associated with creating that character that, that really stand out for me. Um, you know, Lion is a great character and I love the game of uh, Rainbow Six and Outlast was a, was fun. But Outlast was really intense because it was a lot of misery and screaming and crying. Definitely. We'll get to that in a few and That stuff's fun to do. It's super fun to do, but it's draining, you know? Yes. And I'm mostly alone for that stuff. When I'm lying, I'm just in a booth by myself. When I'm doing Outlast, it's just me. And I had a few scenes with uh, Erica, who played uh, my wife, and the second one, who played Lynn. Uh, you know, but apart from that, it's just me in a booth, so it's not the same experience. Um, and I also really enjoyed the, the characters I played on Assassin's Creed. Uh, Machiavelli was one of my first mocap roles, so that has a special place in my heart. And Duccio was a really fun character to play because he's kind of this big loser, so I really got to have fun playing a, a character like that. Uh, I like challenges and changing myself when I when I act so that was nice uh, but I also had like a really nice time on Far Cry 6 when I played Matthias I was with another great team working with Ubisoft Toronto and I hadn't worked with them before um, oh, yeah. but yeah if I had to pick one winner it would be Wrench uh, and I'm kind of waiting still for the next big part to kind of come along and top that experience you know so yeah, yeah I'd, have to, I'd have to go with Wrench hopefully that'll come soon yeah that'd be nice yeah that'd be great yeah for sure um, speaking of French, have you also done motion capture for him? Yes, I did a lot of motion capture for a bunch of games for Ubisoft. But um, uh -huh. when I did Wrench, it was actually performance capture. So the difference, people who don't know, between motion capture and performance capture is motion capture is when you just wear the mocap suit, just the body. Performance capture is when you wear the mocap suit plus the um, helmet, the face cam, and uh, the mic. So it captures your facial expressions, your vocal performance, and your movements. So mm -hmm. Wrench was performance captured, even though Wrench was a bit of an exception because he has a mask. So they don't actually capture my facial data because he had a mask, but they'd use my expressions to determine his mood and translate that into emojis into uh, his oh, eye yeah. mask. For sure. Um, yeah. So that was, so I did mocap and, and uh, performance capture rather for mm -hmm. all of Wrench in Watch Dogs. Two and in Watch Dogs Legion uh, in uh, Bloodline as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think that was like a, a downloadable content. Bloodline was DLC. Yeah. Yes. Okay. All right. Moving on. Um, do you have any specific techniques or strategies you use to prepare for a voiceover role? Or if you, you know, do any research or how to how you're going to develop the character that you're about to voice? I mean, sure, it depends on the character and the size of the part. Um, not that I mean that smaller sizes don't require, you know, as much work, but I mean, mm -hmm. I guess the depth of the character would be a big factor. You know, how much do we uh -huh. need to know about his background, who he is and, and all that? Yeah. Um, I will admit I'm a very instinctual actor. When I read a part, 
I tend to either connect with it or not right away. And a lot of my decisions are kind of made for me in the moment. Um, but what was nice about Watch Dogs is we actually worked quite closely uh, with the director on Watch Dogs 2. So we really got to delve into Wrench's uh, um, psychology, his attitude. The director really helped me fine tune his performance, especially the scene like when he loses his mask. You know, it's a very intense, very personal scene. He really helped yeah. shape something really beautiful there, I thought. So a lot of the work is done on the day. Uh, I focus on learning my lines, being off book so I can focus on the choices to make that day, the context. And, you know, the thing with voice, uh, with uh, mocap, I mean, and voice too, to an extent, is unlike film, film is much more descriptive. You have your script. You know, when you show up on set, you know where you are, you know what you're doing. You can see it in a booth. You know, it's just your voice. It's just a script and a monitor and a technician yeah. and a director. And mocap too. Mocap, you're just, or performance cap, you're just in a giant empty space with infrared cameras everywhere and they're telling you, okay, there's a fireplace here and there's a, you know, a monster over there. Or there's a lake over here. So mm -hmm. you have to do a lot of your creative work with what you have on the day. Uh, but in terms of character, I mean, if it's something technical, I'll always look it up, do the research. If there's lingo, you know, anything I don't understand in the script. So with the wrench, I have to look up a few things because I'm not a hacker. I'm not as computer savvy as he is. So, you know, what's a zero day patch or what's, a, you know, stuff like that. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm a pretty big nerd to begin with. So, I mean, a lot of that was already known to me, but the stuff I didn't know. I, and that's what I love about acting, too, is I get to learn new things. I get to explore new venues. You know, something I actually did for Wrench, which was awesome, is uh, there's a scene in Watch Dogs 2 where I forget what's happening, but Wrench and Josh are in the background and they're practicing picking locks they, they have little locks and they're using a lock pick set to open oh, yes. them yeah and i think that was in the script so to their credit ubisoft got someone to come down who knew how to pick locks and taught me and uh john who plays josh uh -huh. to pick locks and then john and i practiced and practiced we had competitions to see who was better and we both <laughs> got pretty good at it and then That's we had this amazing. whole thing happening during the scene. If you look at us in the background, we're not just sitting there. I tried and I get frustrated and he tries. And then like, I think we had this whole narrative just kind of quietly playing in the background when we were um, working on that. So that's a good example of like, you know, going into depth with the character. It might be a tiny, tiny little scene, but it adds to the richness of it. And I came out of that session uh, knowing how to pick locks. I mean, I haven't been keeping yeah. up with I own a lock pick kit now. and Good, uh, good to know. Good I actually know. picked a few locks here in my home, in my old home, actually, um, oh. a few times. And then one time my lock pick broke off in the lock, and that was terrible. So I couldn't unlock the door. <laughs> or I couldn't lock it, rather. Um, so, so, yeah, you know, so, scale, so if I there's guess... relevant skills and stuff, I like to try yeah, to look into prove them. to be useful. Can, yeah, but also to, to round out the character, just how people move, how they talk, will be affected by you know, who they are and what they've learned, you know. So uh, whenever something, you know, and I'm not like, I'm not on the other end of the spectrum where I'm like a method actor, which mm -hmm. is I'm going to immerse myself and be the character 24-7. Like, look, yeah. if that works for certain actors, I say, you know, go for it. But to me, you know, acting is a skill. It's a technique. You can turn it off and on because, you know, method, method acting is all good and well, but you don't, you know, when... <laughs> When Heath Ledger played the Joker, did he go to the bathroom as the Joker? Did he go order, you know, uh, 
a burger from the catering yeah. as the Joker. Uh, you know, actors, I think, say that sometimes to get credit yeah. or to add mystery to what we do. And That's possible. I respect the art of acting, but to me, it's also, it's, it's a job. It's a, it's a vocation. Means, yes. Like anything else, you know what I mean? So you, you put in the time that you think you need to put in to get the results you want. Yes, by all means. Actually, are there any uh, like voice actors or performers who have inspired or influenced your work, perhaps? Yeah, I'd say definitely so. Uh, growing up, I had a lot of comedic influences. Like I said, comedy is really my bag. Yes. Uh, so, you know, John Ritter, I used to love Three's Company. I, I loved him in terms of physical comedy. He was like this clown. Uh, Jim Carrey was a massive, <laughs> massive, oh, massive influence yeah. on me. I loved Ace Ventura. Uh, and I have to admit, if you if you listen to my performance as Wrench, you can tell it is inspired in part by Jim Carrey. Um, the whole Ace Ventura way of talking, that whole kind of energetic thing he does, you know, that thing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's a lot of that in Wrench. Because um, I yes. used to imitate uh, Jim Carrey, I used to do Ace Ventura impressions when I was in school. I was known as the funny physical guy. <laughs> so I got to bring elements of that into Wrench, which was awesome. So Jim Carrey was another big influence on me. Uh, Chevy Chase, uh, I love his movies and I love his, his comedic sensibilities. I'm also a really big fan of Arnold Schwarzenegger. Uh, oh. I love his movies. Um, yeah, he's cool. I think he's such an entertaining guy. He's in some of my favorite films. I love action. Um, yeah. So, you know, act actors like that. Um, and I'm also a big fan of, you know, the more character actors, you know, like uh, yes. Gary Oldman Gary or Oldman, yeah. um, Sir Ian McKellen, for example. Like, I find those guys just fascinating to watch because they have such a command of their craft. Um, you know, I don't I don't like Arnold because he's a great thespian. <laughs> I like him because he does <laughs> fun movies. Um, I think he's a decent actor in, in some yeah, of them. Yeah, his acting um, is great. You know, when he's well cast, you know, just like, you know, Keanu Reeves is well cast in some movies and other movies he's, yeah. he's terribly cast. You know, people have to find their niche. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I really think most artists, you don't copy people, but you inspire yourself from, from the people who came before you to influence your art. You know, I mean, musicians do it, visual artists do it, uh, dancers do it, everyone does it. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, I say a lot of comedic people, for sure, and some action heroes as well, and then some more standard uh, actor people. And, like, you know, guys, too, like, say, Andy Serkis, I have a huge amount of respect for because he really brought motion capture and all that into the forefront. Or guys like, uh, oh, hello, my, my dog's here. Uh, or guys like, um, guys like... Um, Phil Lamar, who does a lot of animated stuff, for example, uh, he's, he's, I find really amazing to, to watch, uh, to, to listen to. And I watch oh, a lot yeah. of animated stuff too. So voice actors sure. who, you know, or guys like Nolan North and, you know, stuff like that. Those guys are terrific and I find very inspiring. And I kind of strive to have a career uh, along those lines uh, whenever I can. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I can definitely see that. Actually, speaking of voiceover, um, and since you've voiced Wrench in that DLC, you know, so how do you deal with, uh, you know, having to come back and record more dialogue for like sequels? Like, is it hard for you to get back into a specific character or? <laughs> oh, God, no, not at all. Um, I mean, I, I can't speak for other actors, but for me personally, when I play a character, even if it's a nonverbal actor, like I've done a lot of motion capture work for 
Ubisoft product, uh, projects, playing NPCs and stuff. And I can work on a, on a character, you know, like his fight stance. He stands like this and I'll do that, you know, and then nine months will go by and I'll come back for a second session and I'll instantly remember how I stood and how I moved and who the character was. Like, I've got a really good physical memory for these things. Oh, so man. Wrench, who was such a big character for me, he's he's in my blood. He, I could pull him out anytime. I um, When I got the script, I was really excited because I was saying new things and doing new things as a character I knew well, which is always a bit of a weird feeling because you're not sure if the um, writers are going to capture the character the second time because it wasn't the same writing team so i was afraid that they might you know turn him into something he's not or or write stuff that i didn't think was very funny and they did a terrific job they did a really great job for the dlc for bloodline i really enjoyed what i read and you know there were a few lines here and there where i'm like oh i could make this funnier or i could change this or i could say it in a more wrench way and that was nice too is they, they really opened it up to improv so it was very clear to oh, me that's cool on both projects that if I wanted to add or subtract anything or come in with my own ideas, they were really welcoming of that. So I took full advantage of that and inserted all sorts of my own pop culture preferences and, and things I enjoyed and my sensibilities and, you know, all the voices I like to do, I like to do impressions. So, you know, if I could slip in an Arnold Schwarzenegger in there, like, you know, if you play the game, Rems talks like this a few times, you know, when he's talking about like cool stuff because he's doing Arnie because I love Arnie, right? Okay. So um, it was really nice to kind of pick the character up. I really felt right where I left him. Uh, but he had evolved, which is nice too. He was older. He had gone through some things. They revealed uh, very quickly something about his sexuality, which the fans loved that he had been married to a man and now he was divorced. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, that's the fans kind of, influencing the product a bit because he wasn't written that way originally but i never played him as this very straight very hetero guy like i just played him again along my sensibilities um i am straight but i mean i i'm I'm very open-minded so and i don't i'm not a big believer in like the the more uh, i guess we call them traditional markers of masculinity um I like, you know, I like, I think men should be open and vulnerable and funny and honest. And, you know, it's not all about just kicking ass and drinking beer and you know, playing sports and all that stuff. Nothing wrong with those things, but <laughs> yeah, I, I like masculinity to be a bit more broadly defined in my world. So I brought that to yes. Wrench and people kind of took that and ran with it in their fan fiction and in, in their interpretations. And I think the, the writers listened to that and brought that into the new game, into the new content. And yes, made a lot of ha- right fans thing. really happy. And I was super happy to see that. I was thrilled. Um, and I thought it was handled yes. in a really, really good way. Oh, uh, I'm all yeah, about diversity and representation. I think that's important. But I think sometimes in an effort to get that to the forefront, people kind of, they don't implement it well. You know what I mean? And I want to be careful what I say because I'm not gay or trans or or bi so i don't have that lived experience but of course there's a good you know there's better and and worse ways of doing it i thought they really handled it well in the game a lot of people responded really positively to it so i was super happy to be back as wrench and i would love to play him again should the opportunity ever present itself yes i mean it's uh, important for these writers and you know to uh, keep it real and uh, do it the right way to make sure not to offend anyone or anything like that yeah yeah, I mean, you got to be careful nowadays. It's easy 
to offend. Yeah. But I think if you write something, you know, from a genuine standpoint that's really meant to tell a story or to embody a character, you can't really go wrong with that approach. I think if you bring in these elements and your your desire is to teach instead or inform or you make it a bit too overt then i think some people have a problem with that and they tend to shy away from it so mm-hmm. you know it's, it's it's a little more than an aside in the story he's like oh my ex-husband blah 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 and you know anyone who's paying attention is like oh shit okay right supposed to be by okay you know it's, it's there as opposed to it being part of the storyline or there's a mission based on it or there's an obstacle or a problem presented to Wrench because he's by that I find, you know, it, that can be well done, but it doesn't always have to be presented that way, I think, to be effective. Yeah, that's that's completely true. Well, uh, going forward with the questions over here, we have a category called Outlast which I don't yes. think I need to remind you of. Um, <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> so in the first game, back in uh, 2012, maybe, I think, you portrayed, you know, uh, the protagonist and a few other characters. Uh, but you've only recorded, like, effort sounds for the protagonist, right? Yes. He wasn't, yeah. like, talking back then. Correct. That guy. So what yeah. was it like, you know, embodying this character? So that was very challenging. Um the the character is um miles upshur that's his name yes and he doesn't talk in the first outlast i think they did that because they wanted the player to be more immersed in the game because if you only hear breathing then still could be you right the, mm-hmm. the voice and the words make it someone else so you know they, they kept it very kind of generic that way it was challenging, but I didn't find it that difficult, mostly because, again, I'm a very expressive person physically. I do stunt fighting. I do all that stuff, too. So to me, to mm-hmm. have a vocal equivalent to physical expression, to me, wasn't a very uh, big deal. Like, I didn't have to reach very far. And, you know, I had lots. I had great direction. Uh, the director was really great. And I also had a lot of help visually because there was references. There was images. Oh, really? There was footage. Uh, There's gameplay footage. So, you know, when you're walking and you look down and there's a carpet of dead babies under your feet, like it's, it's oh, yeah. so disturbing. Yeah. It's not hard to imagine how terrifying that would be. So, you know, the, the, the sentences got intense. And I think a couple of times I might have come close to making myself ill because I was, you know, hacking or coughing or. Yeah, like the the scene. I this I remember the scene when Bla- um, Miles gets his fingers cut off. Okay, yeah, he gets two of his. I think gets his index cut off on yeah, each hand, yeah, something yeah. like that. Uh, that they wanted it as one take, so oh. it starts when he's in the elevator. They wheel him out into the room. The guy, I forget, I forget his name, was Traeger. I forget his name. Yeah, Traeger. Yeah, Traeger takes the giant scissors and. Then he talks and he cuts off one finger. Then he cuts off a second finger and Miles uh, is screaming and then he throws up and then he gets free and then he escapes. Like Uh, all of that was one take. They didn't want to break it up into chunks. So impressive. That was very demanding because by the end I was lightheaded. I was sweating. I was almost throwing up for real because I was really into it. And I find when you really, um, try to emulate a physical state as a voice actor. I mean, as an actor in general, but when you can only use your voice, 
me personally, my body tends to go, oh, is that what we're doing? Okay, cool. So if, we, if we're sad, we'll start crying. If we're angry, our heart rate is going to go up and we're going to get flushed. If we're sick, we're going to feel nauseated and I'll start, I'll start up your gag reflex, Sean. I'm like, no, no, we don't need to do that for real. We can just <laughs> yeah. keep it to the sounds and uh, that's good enough. Yeah. So that gets kind of draining. And we did that, I think, two, maybe three times in order to oh. get it. So it was a fun challenge, though, and I think it turned out great. I'm really, really happy with both those games. I think they sound really awesome. Uh, and then, you know, it was the same thing in, in Outlast 2, but this time I had dialogue, which made it easier, and I had a wonderful co-star to work off of, which also made it easier. And, you know, when there's an actual live person you work with, over the course of days and weeks, you, you you come to like them and appreciate them. So, you know, when you have to picture that person in danger as your wife, it's easier than just some nebulous concept. Like, here's a drawing of the person who doesn't exist. She's the love of your life. Feel bad now, you know. Um, so those things help too. Um, well, but yeah, it was yeah. a welcome challenge. And doing vocalizations like that, uh, those are called onos uh, in the voice industry. And it's basically oh, no. things like efforts jumping, hitting, getting hurt, being on fire, coughing, falling, getting wounded, sneaking, climbing, all that stuff. I have a lot of experience doing that from a whole bunch of different games. So when it came time to just do that for a part, I thought I was pretty well equipped to uh, to, to handle it. Well, you did a hell of a good job, I can say. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate so. that. And I mean, I'm not sure if you recorded for the DLC specifically or if they just used different takes, but you also voiced someone named Whalen Park. There yes. was like a DLC for the. I'm not sure if you recorded those separately or if they just used some other takes from Miles. So, yes to both. Uh, so, as I recall, I believe Whalen was some uh, audio footage of um, audio data of my performance as Miles. And then they needed new audio for different sections, new sections of the game. So I came in, as I recall, and recorded that specifically. And then they just uh -huh. combined that with what they had in the first Outlast. And oh, yes. that was, uh, yeah, that was... Did, did uh, you not feel uh, weird about coming back and voicing a different protagonist for the same franchise? I did, actually. And that's a great question. When I... <laughs> but you should ask that, because when I... When I auditioned for Outlast 2, I uh, I remember I go, I went into the booth and Erica, who plays Lynn, was in the booth. Mm -hmm. And I remember thinking, oh, okay, she's here for every audition and they're having different guys come in to read, meaning she must be the lead. And I remember thinking, oh, cool, it's a woman as the lead in the next game. That's awesome. Why not mm -hmm. change it up? So I'm probably her husband or her friend or something who's going to like die horribly in the game. And they're just having me read with her to see if we have chemistry. And I figured, oh, you know, maybe if they hire me, it'll be as a cameo, right? Like often when you have someone who works on a franchise and they bring them back later in the franchise to do a little cameo, you know, like, mm -hmm. in, like in Ghostbusters or yeah, yeah, yeah. whatever. Uh, so I went in, I read and it went well. And then I went home. And then a few weeks later, I got, a, you know, my agent got in touch saying, hey, you got booked on this Outlast game. I remember thinking, I'm like, oh, okay, I probably caught, like, you know, I'm probably the pilot or maybe, you know, <laughs> yeah. a soldier or something, just a little yeah. nod because you don't hear me talk in the first games. So you could have me talk as a minor character and that'll be a cute little nod, a little Easter egg for the fans. Yeah. So I show up at the booth 
And the director was the same as the first Outlast, this awesome guy named Simon Peacock. And he's like, all right, Sean, we're going to start. So go in the booth and we'll get started. And as I go in, I'm like, oh, I just one quick question, Simon. I'm like, who, who am I playing? Like, I don't know who I'm booked as. And he looked at me. He's like, you're the lead. You're the main character. <laughs> that's what I found that, out. That's a nice way to find out. As I walk into the booth, they're like, you're the lead character in this game. <laughs> and my first thought was like, what? They're hiring me twice to play two different leads. That's amazing. So I was incredibly yeah. flattered by that because it's a hell of a testament to, you know, I guess how much they liked the work I did and how nice it was to work with me or how good it was. So that was awesome. Um, mm -hmm. And I also wasn't expecting them, which they didn't, but I wasn't expecting they hire me for a third, you know, for the third game in the same capacity. Cause I'm like, guys, I'm good, but you know, let's, let's have different voices, please. Um, I mean, I would have said yes, had they asked, but I'm, you know, I think they, they, I understand why they went in that direction. So that was a really nice surprise on the day. Um, I was surprised too, but I think it turned out well enough. And because the first one's just breathing, I understand their logic. I don't think anyone really recognizes me just from that in, in both games. No one thinks oh, I'm the same character, oh, so would. I think it works. They would. Believe well, they, they would, would, but they don't equate it as the same character right because Blake well, yeah, yeah, yeah so you don't like you don't yes. think oh is this miles that's in the next adventure like no i, I think miles dies or goes crazy at the end of the first outlast yes I, th I i do believe he becomes like the actual monster at the end yeah of the exactly yeah. yeah yeah so that was something uh i'm glad you mentioned the third game uh outlast trials is the name it recently released in early access i believe and uh, yeah uh, it was uh, crazy to me when I played it through, and at the end, I saw your name in the credits. Uh, so I wanted to ask if uh, you did record anything for it, if you, or if you haven't. I did. So I did work on that game. However, I didn't record any audio for it. So I came in for a few days and worked on some mocap. I played some of the patients, some of the inmates, uh, or or mm -hmm. patients, or victims, or whatever you want to call them. I forget the name of the character I played, but uh, it might have been even the guy with the gas, maybe. I'm not sure. Like, I had some really misshapen dude that walked around. Oh. So I played him. I played a couple other monsters. And then I played a bunch of NPCs in some of, uh, I think, the cutscenes or some of the in-game scenes. So, like, scientists and stuff moving around. Oh, so I did huh. mostly some motion capture uh, for the game, but no, no voice work. That's pretty cool to know. Um, though, yeah, it's nice to work on it. Do you think it could be possible that they reused your older placeholder voice lines or more like more effort sounds from the previous games? Uh, I don't think so. Um, because I didn't record for them and they didn't tell me they were using those files, they, they wouldn't just use them without my permission. Um, mm -hmm. I did watch a lot of footage of gameplay. I want to see what it was like. Uh, and I saw both the male and and female protagonists, and uh, none of it sounded like me. It all sounds like whoever they chose to be the actors. And I thought they did a good job. Uh, I would have loved to lend my voice to that game too. I think it might have been a nice option for the fans, maybe like an Easter egg or something. It still might uh, happen. I mean, it's still early it might, sure. access, so you know, uh, it'd be really cool. Yeah, sure. I mean, if I get a call from them, I'd, I'd be more than happy to. <laughs> Go back yes. in and, and scare myself uh, for the entertainment of others <laughs> one more time. Again, wouldn't be the first time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm, all, I'm an old horse at this at this point. 
Yeah, well, Outlast, it's, it was an amazing game, you know, uh, filled with uh, horror and uh, tension and whatnot. Um, yeah, amazing portrayal, really, from from your end. Thank you. For all for for all the characters, not just uh, you know Miles or and or Blake, you know, really excellent performances. I mean, uh, your voice really hasn't changed a lot throughout the years, so that's cool. No, it hasn't. Uh, I mean, I I have a I think I have a relatively young sounding voice, so it's not you know I'm not I'm not a chain smoker who's like ruining my voice <laughs> or anything. I try to take care of it, um, but uh, yeah, it's it's. I think Outlast is very much a product of, uh, you know, all the people who worked on it because a lot of the actors who played characters in both those games, people I know, they're friends of mine, fellow actors, and they all did, I thought, an, an amazing, outstanding job. Because, I mean, it's good to be invested in the character with his fear, but it also takes other actors creating fearful situations for that to be the case. And I thought they all did a really amazing job at that and really superb direction as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, you know, all of the actors did an amazing job. Yeah, agreed. So, yeah, by all means. Uh, do you think uh, some of the Outlast fans could get a shout out in one of the characters' voices? Maybe Blake in this case? Sure, I mean, uh, Blake does sound a lot like me, but uh, what's up, everyone? It's Blake, uh, I hope... <laughs> I hope you're all keeping safe and, uh, you know, hiding from all the people trying to kill you and sacrifice you. So uh, stay safe. And uh, when in doubt, listen to the Volk podcast. Yeah, thanks. Thanks a bunch. Yeah. Um, actually, before we wrap this up, uh, one last thing I wanted to talk about is The Punisher. Yeah. Awesome. You, I, I think that, that was like a short film or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Yeah. So how did that come about? That's a great question. Not a lot of people ask me about that. So uh, many years ago, uh, in, in, in the, the, the heyday of YouTube, when YouTube was just kind of starting off and was kind of becoming more and more popular, uh, there was, a, I, don't, I forget who made it, but I came across a video, which was a fan film, one of the first fan films I'd ever seen. Because, you know, before YouTube, you couldn't really see people's fan film unless you went to someone's house and they're like, oh, I made this fan film of Batman in my garage. Oh, so yeah. um, there was this fan film, which was this really good, like high quality fan film of Batman. This amazing mm -hmm. actor looked really good as the part, probably the best live action looking Batman I've ever seen. And he's in an alleyway and he fights the Joker. And then the Predator shows up and he fights the Predator. Oh. <laughs> and then I think an alien shows up or some something else. I forget who or what. Someone else shows up and there's this big fight and it just gets kind of more and more ridiculous, but it's still Batman being awesome. And I remember seeing that. I'm like, that's such a great friggin' idea. Like to take the things you love and to shoot them with whatever means you have and just make a story. And then later I saw another fan film, which is a fan preview for a concept called World's Finest, which is a comic book which teams up Batman and Superman. And uh, they had like Batman, they had a guy playing Superman, a guy playing Lex Luthor. And it looked like this amazing movie, again, with, you know, limited budget, but they did some really great effects with it. And I remember thinking, like, man, like, these are so enticing. I, I'd love to, you know, express my fandom that way. Mm -hmm. I didn't really think about it much more. And then there was, oh, I forget their name now. They were pretty popular some years ago. It's just an uh, Asian guy with glasses. Uh, Rocket Jump, I think it's their channel. And they do 
all sorts of gun uh, videos. And they use CG for muzzle flash and like bullet hits, like bullet impacts. And they do stuff in like back alleys and in people's homes. And the production values, again, are pretty good. And they do some really cool like slow-mo and, and speed ramping stuff. And they did this little... Um, little video where this guy's just in his backyard and he like pauses time. I think it was a nod to a video game maybe. And he keeps pausing time and getting out and reloading and shooting. And I remember thinking like, man, you could do so much with guns, fake guns now with today's yeah. technology than you could, you know, 10 years yeah. before then. <laughs> so all of that aside, uh, I've been meeting with my friends, my stage combat, my stunt fighting friends up on in a park uh, on Mount Royal, which is this like really nice park in the middle of Montreal. And we'd go there every Sunday mm -hmm. and we would just do fight choreography. We'd fight, we'd invent fights, whatever. And me and my friend Amber uh, did this fight one-on-one, -on -one, uh, which is a really cool fight between a man and a woman, just for the hell of it. And eventually a friend of mine who was also a writer, he and I came across the idea of like, we should do a Punisher film wouldn't that be fun? Like we have the means, we can get guns, we can get a location, we can do choreography. So we actually took the choreography that I did with my friend Amber and we kind of reverse engineered to make it a Punisher versus Electra fight. Oh. So we, we kind of kept working on it that way. And then we went backwards and worked out, okay, why is Punisher fighting Electra? What happened before this? Why are they there? What happens after? What leads up to that? So my friend and I wound up writing this 20-minute film where the Punisher decides to go to a warehouse and kill a bunch of guys. And before he can kill the main bad guy, Electra shows up because she wants to get her money because she did a job and they screwed her over. So she and Frank fight. And then she realizes the guy's already dead. So she takes her money and she leaves. And Frank's like, yeah, well, you win some, you lose some. And he kills the guy and he leaves, right? So it's a very simple story, okay. which kind of loops um, it ends kind of with the beginning of the film. It was this neat little, I really liked the story idea that I came up with my friend. So we just got together, got some friends to do props and makeup. My wife made the costumes. She did the catering. My friend's brother provided the skate shop he worked at as a, the warehouse. I had friends That's building cool. props. They borrowed equipment. Everyone worked for free. We shot it. We shot about 60 70 hours of footage in three days we were exhausted oh, that's cool. but we had tons to work with we had a friend compose music for it and the whole deal we really i was involved with almost every aspect editing writing co-directing you name that's it that's amazing uh and a really great guy jason ambrose was the director and he, he really helped you know solidify my vision so we put in all this time and it maybe took us a year of post-production eventually the film was done we released it on youtube mm -hmm. and then mashimina which is no longer existing as a website, but Mashimina, uh, Mashinima, I forget how they're, I think it's Mashinima. Mashinima, I think. Mashinima, they're like, hey, can we premiere, premiere your film? Can, we, can you guys be exclusive to us? And we said, uh, sure. But then a little voice in my head was saying, let's also keep our film on our channel mm -hmm. because nothing lasts forever. And I was completely right because a few years later, Mashinima went down and all our views for the Punisher on there disappeared because the film disappeared. But on our channel, which is a time I have like three videos on there. I don't post regularly on YouTube, but we have over a million views now, like a million, 1.1 million. Oh, that's amazing. Uh, and it was pretty well received. I think the like to dislike radio is in the high 80s. Um, I got some pushback from some fanboys who were like, Punisher's not bald. 
to which I say, I never realized Frank's hairstyle helped him fight crime. Um, <laughs> so who gives a shit, right? But people like to complain because they like to complain and I don't care. We got a lot of really a lot of support. I'm crazy proud of that film. Uh, I got to live up his fantasy. I don't get to do a lot of action stuff here in Montreal. So it was my chance of doing an action film and playing a character I love. Um, and the whole reason I did it was because I wasn't a fan of any of the Punisher movies that came out. I thought they always got the character wrong. And mm -hmm. the Punisher I love is the one from Garth Ennis in the Punisher Max run, uh, which to me is the best Punisher stories I've ever read. Mm, okay. and none of the movies did that justice and i was happy excited when netflix announced the punisher series but this was after i did my film but i wasn't crazy with what they did with the character either uh, is that the one with the john Bernthal? john Bernthal? yeah he, he, he did a fine job as frank castle but to me they changed a lot of fundamental things about the character which me don't make him the punisher they make him just some war guy whose family <laughs> yeah. got killed by the military yeah. Uh, in the comic book, it's, it's I find more intense than that. But cool little side note is Amber, who played Electra, was she was at a comic con or a convention somewhere, and and this man walked up to her and says, "You look really familiar. How do I know you?" And she says, "I, I don't know. I've done this. I've done that. I've done the Punisher fan film." And he goes, "That's it. The Punisher's fan film." He said, "I work with John Bernthal. I'm his agent." And we watched your film because John was doing research for The Punisher. So we watched a bunch of stuff on YouTube. And I guess he came across our film. So that was a That's nice cool. little little yeah. acknowledgement. <laughs> you know what I mean? And uh, Jerry Conway, who uh, came up with the character, who, who invented The Punisher, he got in touch with us at one point and said, hey, good job on the film. I really liked it. So to me, that's oh, that's cool. That's mission accomplished. I can't get higher praise than that. I'm just glad yeah. Jerry Conway wasn't like, Punisher's not bald. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, sometimes uh, bald is just badass. A lot of people think that, actually. Well, he's military. Why wouldn't he have a shaved head? You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, that, that's right. I mean, completely true. What does it matter? Yeah, yeah, it doesn't even matter anyway, you know? No, it doesn't. It doesn't. But people like to complain because they like yeah, to complain. Yeah, sure. and, and, you know, the people complaining are the ones who've never made their own movies before and who don't know what's involved. They just like to complain because oh, they yeah, know they're never going to make yeah. anything worthwhile in their lives. So they just shit on people who... who go out there and take that risk and put themselves out there and that's I have no completely regrets. true yeah, yeah i have no regrets i'm really proud of what we did so this project is almost like you know friends coming together and doing something cool yeah it was exactly that we all did it for the love of filmmaking and a lot of the people who worked on the film had the same sentiment which was look we'll never have a chance to work on this kind of a film professionally so yeah Sean's offering the chance here and you know it's good people we had a really nice time we were about 30 of us a crew of about 30 everyone went way above and beyond what was asked of them and I couldn't be prouder of the result I think it really shows in the film mm -hmm. yeah I mean uh, where can we watch this film it's on YouTube yeah just go YouTube put the uh, the Punisher no mercy fan film and uh, it should pop up it, that should be fairly easy to find I will include the link in the description if I find it. I should be able to. Uh, yeah, I'll uh, yeah. I'll send you. I have your email. I'll send you the link after we. Uh, sure, that works for me. That works. For this, me, that's yeah. the way you'll have the right information. Sure. Yeah. Thanks a bunch. And uh, getting back to the Outlast fans, some of them really uh, wanted to ask if you'd be willing to just uh, do a few seconds of grunting. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know where did they get that from, but they just wanted you to. Uh, <laughs> 
Okay, here we go. I'll I'll uh, I'll tell a little story non-verbally. Okay. That there was you go. Crazy. You have to guess what you have to guess what happened there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he stubbed oh his toe. God. He saw a spider and he stubbed his toe. That's what happened. Yeah, I hope that came through fine for y'all who are listening. <laughs> yeah, um, that was very emotional. I, I yeah, felt thank you. I'm glad you enjoyed that. <laughs> Better than stepping on a carpet of dead babies, I tell you. By all means. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Sean. So um, I guess that's your message for them Outlast fans. But do you think you would have anything to say for the Vogue podcast fans? Uh, thanks for taking the time to listen. Sounds like a great show. I checked out some of your clips uh, the other day. Seems like you've spoken to some really interesting people. So I'm very honored to be counted amongst them. So thank you. Uh, it was a pleasure to be here. If everyone to have another chat, I'd be more than happy to come back and talk about other stuff. And uh, oh, thank everyone, you so just much. stay awesome and keep doing your thing, man. Thanks, man. You too. And uh, you know, let's stay in touch and let me know when you're working on something cool. You know and Absolutely. Just so I can congratulate you. Yeah. That'd be great. Thank you, Ronald.